Well, that song is more than true. That our God is greater than all. And I got to experience a little bit of God's goodness and how great He is yesterday when I was reminded of how good God has been to me in my life. And yesterday I got to celebrate my three-year wedding anniversary with the most beautiful, amazing, godly woman in the world, Megan. And I'm telling you guys, uh, God is so good. Just to be in ministry and to have someone that supports you and cares for you the way that, that my wife does, and her heart and passion for high school girls and wanting to engage you in your lives and help you grow in your faith and that kind of stuff, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I'm so blessed and so thankful for that. And um, so, dude, uh, I just want to publicly thank my wife for that. And, uh, and for those of you guys who have relationships with her, if you wouldn't mind as well, I just want to give my wife a hand. Are y'all cool with that? This is good. We love you, baby. We love you, baby. You know, I don't know if you guys have noticed or not, but I believe that God is doing some unbelievable things in our high school ministry. Unbelievable things. In fact, I look around at night and I see some empty chairs and things like that, but that hasn't been the case much. And I know we got Thanksgiving coming up next week. And the reality is, is that over the last four weeks, not counting tonight, we've had over 130 first-time visitors come and check out the point on a Thursday night. Yeah. In the last three months, we've baptized over 30 students in this room on a Thursday night. And our next baptism will be in January. And we got a lot to celebrate because God has done some big things in our student ministry. When I first got here, we were setting out 125 chairs. La the last several weeks, we started, we've been gradually adding to that. We are now setting up 300 chairs. And we've had to pull out extra chairs two of the last three weeks because of what God's doing in this place. And it's pretty amazing. And the cool thing about that is, is that you guys that are in this room, you guys are a part of that. You guys are a part of something that God is doing in this place that is much bigger than ourselves. Because I'm just going to tell you, what is happening here doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Hundreds of new students coming in every single uh, month and the, the stuff and the momentum and the things that are going on that are, that are happening in space, this stuff doesn't happen and is unexplainable apart from God's movement on this ministry and apart from the passion within the hearts and lives of students that are a part of this ministry. And this is what I know. What I know is this, is I know that as we've seen God move over the last, uh, you know, uh, 11 months in this high school ministry and this whole entire year, and as we've seen people come to faith in Christ, and I know there are many of you that are in this room right now, you would call yourself or consider yourself a new Christian, that you have not been a believer in Jesus for very long, and you're still trying to figure this faith journey out, you're still trying to walk down that road and walk down that path, and so I felt like at the end of that When Helping Hurts series, which we just closed out last Last week that I would address something tonight that I feel like is so incredibly important for you to get. And if you're here tonight and you're, you're just checking this thing out and you don't really know what's going on and you're trying to figure this out, I want to ask you just to tune in and engage with me for just the next 20 to 30 minutes as we talk a little bit about what, what I want to bring to you tonight because I think that this is, you, you'll be able to relate to what I'm going to talk about. This is what I know. What I know is that when we come to faith in Christ, 
the Holy Spirit of God begins to work within us. And there's a passion that begins to grow and develop within us. And I know it because I can see it within you. I can feel it in the worship. And you come in here and, and man, I'm telling you if, you, if you kind of just camp out in the back or, and you're kind of in your own world and you're talking to your friends, you don't catch it. But if you come down to the front and you get in the crowd up front and you, you just kind of lose yourself in the crowd and you don't really realize that anything else is going on in the world except for what's going on in this room right now. I'm just telling you, does anybody else feel that? You know what I'm talking about? Man, that was weak. That's what I'm saying. And that's a passion. And then when you go to school and you're, you're talking to your friends about this life change and this passion is coming out and you're talking about it. And what happens is, is that we have this passion that just kind of flows out of us. And this passion, and that doesn't write, and so we're going to go with another color. And uh, this passion just flows out of us and we just, we can't help it. We can't hold it in. Why can we not hold it in? The reason we can't hold it in is because the God of this universe has changed our lives. He has transformed us. He is working within us and he is doing great things through us and we are passionate about that. We have this joy that we never had before. We had victory over sin that we never had before. We had things going on that we have never experienced before in our lives and now we're experiencing those and we want every person around us to experience that stuff as well and this passion just begins to well up on us but this is what I know passion minus direction or passion without direction equals trouble or disaster see passion without direction leads to disaster when people are passionate about things and they are the wrong things, that can lead you to a road that leads to disaster. When you are passionate in a relationship with someone who is not the right person that you need to be with, that relationship can end in disaster for you because you had passion but you had little direction. There are people who think that, that, it is, that they're passionate about their beliefs that if they strap a bomb to their chest and go into a place in a room of Christians and blow themselves up and kill everyone in the room, that God has something for them in heaven. There are people that are passionate about that, but they have been misled, misguided. They have bought into untruth. They are, their direction is poor, and passion without direction leads to disaster. It leads to trouble. And this is what I know because we have a room that has a lot of people who are new to faith in Christ. Or maybe you've been around church for a while, but God is all of a sudden beginning to do something cool in your life. That what's happened is, is that you have a lot of passion within you. But because you may be immature in your faith, and that is not a slap in your face for being immature in your faith. In fact, we all have to be immature in our faith at some point. In order to grow to maturity, you have to begin at immaturity. And so we all begin there as new believers, as new followers of Christ. And so we are trying to figure out this thing. We're trying to grow in our faith and figure out the direction that we need to go in. And so because of that, we begin to make mistakes. We are passionate but we have little direction because we don't really know what the right direction is. And I think that this is going to make a little sense to you here in a second. I'll just leave that up there. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. 
And I want to I read this to you, and I want to show you something, because I think there is some groundwork that I need to lay before we get into what we're going to talk about tonight and how we're going to apply it to your life. Because here's the reality. And the title of the message tonight, I'm calling this, is Caution to Christians. Caution to Christians. What I'm going to talk about tonight is what I believe is the single uh, most detrimental thing to a new believer's Life, And this is what I know. And let me go back to this real quick because I think it's important to say this. If you have no passion, you will never do anything big for God. If you have no passion, you will never influence anyone in your life. Never. So passion is a prerequisite for influence. Without passion, there is no influence. And so if you are passionate but you lack direction, you are much better than a person who lacks passion who thinks they may have direction. Because with no passion but direction leads to ineffectiveness. And so it's really important to get. Because this is what I know. There's some of you who have been here and you've been coming or you've been coming to church or you've been around things your whole entire life and you have no passion. You have no oomph within you that spurs you forward. You are no influence in your life because you have no passion in your life. And you wonder why, man, why are all these people who are new Christians making all this difference? But me, I'm just not really doing that much and God's not really using me in that way and I think that one of the biggest reasons is because you need a fresh encounter with God so that you can get your passion back so that you can be passionate Jesus was passionate the disciples were passionate Paul was passionate about what he believed when you get to Galatians chapter 5 I think as we set the ground work here for what we're going to talk about. And I, I want you to get this because this is so important for every Christian, every believer, even if you're not a Christian. Because if you keep coming here, hopefully God will open your, your eyes to what. And anyways, but you want to know this because I think this is important. We're going to start in verse 13, Galatians chapter 5. And he says this. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. This is basically what he's saying. He's like, you guys have been set free by Christ. And so now that you've experienced the grace of God and you now have a relationship with Jesus, don't say, well, now I'm free in Christ. God will just forgive me for whatever I do. So I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to do. And God's just going to forgive me because now I'm free to do whatever I want to do. And we're going to hit that here in a little bit. He says, the entire law is summed up in the single commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians and he says to you, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Then he says, so I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sin nature. For the sin nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the sin nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Then he goes to and he gives a list. I want to stop there. I want you to notice what he says here. This is so important. Don't miss this. He says, live by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the sin nature. For the sin nature desires what is contrary or different from the spirit. And, what the, spi and the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Christians, are there times when you just feel like, man, 
I want to do the right thing, but I just don't feel like I can. Man, I know what the right thing is. I know I'm supposed to be going in this. I know that like, I'm supposed to be living by the Spirit, and I'm supposed to be putting to death the sin nature. I'm supposed to be pushing it away from me. I'm supposed to be gradually you know, putting it to death and, and killing that thing and like, letting it go. And I'm supposed to be feeding the Spirit and starving the flesh. I mean, I know I'm supposed to be doing that. But man, there are times where I'm just conflicted. And you know, there's things I don't want to do, and I keep doing these things. And it, I get so frustrated, and, and I get so upset with myself, and I can't believe that I keep doing this and I mean will God even answer my prayers or God even hear me I'm just going to quit on this faith thing because this battle within me just feels so deep I mean can anybody relate to that I mean Paul says it this way Paul says he says you know the things that I don't want to do these things I keep on doing and the things that I want to do these things I can't seem to do Man, we are in this battle with each other. There's a conflict going on. And I think it's important for you as a Christian to understand this because if you don't understand this, this is going to cause trouble for you in your faith and you're going to start trying to figure out why in the world is these things happening to me. But what happens is, is that as a believer within us, the Bible here is telling us that we have a sin nature. We also call this thing the flesh. And the Bible, as a Christian, tells us we now have the spirit or this new nature that has been placed within us I'm just going to call it the new nature. We've got the sin nature of the flesh and the spirit that is within us. And they're in conflict with each other. Here's the reality. A person who is a non-Christian only has a sin nature. They only have this within them. They do not have the spirit. So there is no conflict going on within them. They can live their lives contrary to God. They can walk in a direction far away from God. And there is no conflict within them because they don't have the spirit within them. Giving them conviction. Letting them know what is truth and what is untruth. Letting them know what is right and what is wrong. They don't have the spirit in their guiding their lives and giving them direction. As a Christian though, we have the spirit within us. The problem is, is that the flesh is still there. The flesh is still there. God puts a new nature with us. He gives us a spirit. And he tells us we need to starve this flesh. And we need to live by the spirit. We need to put to death the flesh. We need to live by the spirit. But the reality is in our lives there's this conflict that is going on with each other. And Satan uses the world to tempt the flesh. And God is using the spirit. God the spirit within us is trying to help us overcome the, fle- overcome the flesh and overcome our sin nature. And that's the reason the Bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world we have victory because of what jesus has already done through the cross and now that victory lives within us so that we can put the death the flesh and the sin nature and so that we can live for christ but as you know if you've been a christian for any amount of time it's not that easy see we use this word in theological circles called progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification, the word sanctification literally means to be set apart. The word holy also means to be set apart. So literally the word sanctification and the word holy can be interchanged with each other. And so sanctification means to be set apart. The Bible tells us that when we become a Christian, there's initial sanctification. When we give our lives to Jesus, we put our faith in him, we are set apart to God, and we are set apart from the world, placed in right standing with God. But that's not it. 
then the Spirit of God begins to work in us. And we begin to grow in our faith. We begin to progressively be set apart more and more in our faith with Christ. And that's called growth. Now I can illustrate this many different ways and we don't have time to get into all that. But we, have, we, we, we progressively grow in our faith. And here's the reality. The reality is when I first became a Christian, the day that I accepted Christ, God took the desire within me to go out and get wasted and smoke, smoke out and do drugs and all that stuff, which was a major part of my life, which was something that I did on almost a daily basis. God took the desire to, to do those things completely away from me. But man, I still cussed like a sailor. I still had problems with lust. I still had problems with getting in the relationships with the wrong girls. I still had problems with all of these other things. I still had these other things. And God began to work in those areas of my life. I still had problems of pride. I still had problems of this. And here's the reality. I've been a Christian now for 14 years. I've been a pastor now for 10 and a half years. And in that, li- in that time, I'll tell you this. God is still working things out within me. I haven't arrived. I am not perfect. I promise you, if you're around me long enough, I will let you down. I will disappoint you. I don't respond in the spirit 100% of the time. Ask my wife. The reality of it is, is that sometimes I can be prideful. The reality is, is that sometimes I can be selfish. The reality is is that sometimes I can be arrogant and just all of these different things that, that are just so deep to the core of me that God is still working out within me. And it's so important that you get this. And so I spend time with God and I get into his word and I lay this stuff out at his feet and I say, God, take this stuff away from me. God, work in my heart. God, change me. God, move in me. God, challenge me. God, bring me your presence. God, show me other areas of my life. Search me so that I know how I can grow in my walk with you because I'm passionate about this because I know that this gives me direction. So then I know that when I have passion and now I have this direction, it's going to lead to something that is fruitful. Christian, you got to get this. You are to be growing in your faith. If things aren't growing, they're dying. You got to be growing in your faith. You got to be connected to the vine. You got to be in God's word. You got to be on your face. What happens is, is that for many of us, especially if you're a new Christian, on this growth journey, you are still way back here. And so the reality is, is that there are struggles that you still have that you're working through. There may not be struggles from you two years from now. There may not be struggles for you five years from now. But there may be other struggles for you ten years from now. And what happens here is this. Is that we dismantle our faith if we don't get a proper view of this right here. You've got to get it. And that's why I titled this message, Caution to Christians. Caution to Christians. Because what you've got to understand is this. Is that 
God has poured out his grace so that we can have a relationship with him. And that grace that, be, that saved you also is the grace that helps you live in spirit with him. But when you screw up when you, and when you mess up, that grace is still there to cover you. So then what we say is, oh, well, then if that's the case, then I use that as a license to sin. So I literally have people come into my office and they say, well, you know, what? I have sex with my girlfriend, no big deal, because I go home and I just pray and I know God forgives me. I have people come off and say, I'm divorcing my wife, no big deal. There's this other girl I like, so I'm going to divorce my wife. I'm going to go be with her. God will forgive me. You know, hey, no big deal. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. God will forgive me. No big deal. Oh, will he forgive you? See, there is no forgiveness without repentance, and there is no repentance without godly sorrow. And godly sorrow is being broken for your sin. It is being sorrowful for the fact that you have sinned against a holy, almighty, righteous God. And as a believer, you should have the conviction within you that brings you to godly sorrow so that you can get repentance, so that you will have repentance, so that you will turn from your sin, so that God can forgive you. If you use God's grace as a crutch to sin, you probably are not a Christian. If you think, I'll just do whatever I want to do and God will just forgive me, let me tell you, there is no concept of that in the Bible. Nowhere. We have to be careful here. Caution number one. This is going to get practical for you. How does this affect my life? Caution number one. Christians, you need to know that other Christians fall down. You need to know that Christians fall down. I've been a youth pastor for a long time, and I've seen many students, and I've seen many Christian leaders fall down. I've seen many people's lives unraveled because of the choices and decisions that they've made. People who I respect highly and greatly. And what I've found is, is that when people, when Christians um, fall into sin or fall down, typically there are two responses from the other Christians around them. They either, one, pick up stones to throw them, or two, they help pick them up. And unfortunately, in the circumstances and situations that I have been a part of mostly in my ministry career, most of the time Christians pick up stones to throw them. Very rarely do Christians come alongside their brother in Christ who has fallen down and help him up. Or their sister in Christ who has fallen down and help them up. Guys, this is a challenge for you. And I'm here to tell you this right now. This is where immature Christianity destroys the witness to people who are outside of the church. When people outside of the church see how we respond to other people who are Christians when they fall down in a poor way, they see us picking up stones to throw it at them, then their response is, I don't want any part of that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, it says this. Two are better than one. If one man falls down, if, 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 if one man falls down, he has someone there to help him up. But most pitied is the man who falls down and has no one there to help him up. 
Church, let me tell you something. If we can't help each other up, if we can't help each other up, then we, the Bible tells us, are to be most pitied. Most pitied. Maybe the person you're sitting beside right now is going to fall down. Maybe this week, maybe this month, maybe this year. And you're either going to leave them, you're either going to pick up stones, you're either going to gossip about them, or you're going to come alongside them and say, hey man, I'm here for you, bro. I want you to know that I love you. I want you to know I'm going to walk through this with you. I want you to know that I'm going to be Jesus to you in this time. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus is on the cross. There are dudes down at the base of the cross that are casting lots, which means gambling. They're gambling for the clothes that were on Jesus' back. And Jesus looks up to his Father in heaven and says, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. What is missing in that whole entire thing that we tend not to think about is that Jesus is on that cross and he is literally dying for the sins of those guys that are ridiculing him at the base of the cross. Jesus is the model. Jesus was willing to come and rescue you when you were lost in your sin. He didn't turn his back on you while you were rejecting him. He pursued you and chased you and came after you because he loves you. See, the reality is is that Christians fall down. Christians fall down. And we've got to help each other up. Secondly, don't let the failure of another Christian cripple your faith. Don't let the failure of another Christian cripple your faith. Man, this is huge. This is huge. At the last church I went to before I got there, the youth pastor that was there that preceded me was fired from the church. The reason he was fired is because he hooked up with a girl who was in the youth group. Fired. Every single student almost in that church left. They bailed. Every one of them. They left the church. They said, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. Because this person that I looked up to and respected has fallen. And what happens is in our culture, in American culture, we put people on a pedestal. And we almost worship them more than we worship Jesus. And then when they fall, which the Bible tells us they're going to, when they fall, we're like, oh, woe is me. I can't believe that happened. If they fell, then there's no hope for faith and we walk away from God. See, what happens is, is that when we're faced with this, we have two responses as well. We either leave or we lead. We leave or we lead. We leave the church or we lead. When I was uh, in high school, a senior in high school, I was a brand new Christian, give my life to Christ right before my senior high school. I'm, I'm going through my senior year of high school. The youth pastor that I had is, 
is kind of helping me with like learning my faith. He's helping me grow in this progressive sanctification. I'm growing and I'm, I'm walking towards God and I'm learning more about God and I'm learning more about his word. And then, and then I felt God call me to ministry and this guy helped me just figure out what that call of ministry looked like. And so I'm excited about it and he's like helping me with like looking for schools and all the things that I'm going to do for ministry. And then he fell. He got addicted to painkillers. And when he would go visit the senior adults in the church, he would say he was going to the bathroom and he would go into their medicine cabinet and steal their pain medication. And he would take them because he was addicted to painkillers. This was my spiritual mentor. The guy that helped me understand my faith. The guy who told me after I was a Christian for one day and I told him, I said, man, what am I supposed to do when I go back home? All of my friends smoke pot. All of my friends do drugs. All my friends drink. All my friends do this. What am I supposed to do? This is the guy who told me, Derek, you're going to have to make a decision. You're either going to choose to live for God or you're going to choose to live for your friends. But the only person that can make that decision is you. And I had a choice I could make. I could have walked away from the church. I could have walked away from God. I could have walked away from my pursuit of being a youth pastor. I could have walked away from all that. I had a choice to leave, but I chose to lead. I chose to step up in leadership and in his absence. I eventually became the youth pastor of that church, and I was a youth pastor of that church for five years. I stepped up and I stepped in. I chose to lead. And listen, you guys have to, you have to make those choices. When we put people on pedestals, it is a perfect opportunity for other people to knock them off. And if you don't think that the enemy wants to destroy me, you better think again. Satan hates ministry and he hates marriage and he hates, you name it, he hates anything that God is about. And the enemy attacks me constantly. And I'm on my face in prayer, and I'm in the Word, and I'm seeking God. Because I don't want to disappoint anybody that's in this room, because I care so deeply about you. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not perfect. I'll never forget, it was towards the end of my senior year of high school, I'd been a Christian almost a year. I played baseball. And I was playing, I played third base, and I'm over there at third base, and we're in BP, and uh, batting practice, and I'm down at third base, and this dude hits his shot down the line, and so I went to backhand it, and when I went to backhand it, the ball hit a rock, and it came back, and it hit me in the ear, square in the ear, dude, it hurt bad. Like, I thought my ear went flying off. I couldn't feel my face. I couldn't feel my ear. You know, I'm slobbering everywhere. I mean, you know, and it hit me. And I'm telling you right now, in, in 10 seconds, I had to have dropped the F-bomb 100 times. Like, if the Guinness Book of World Record people would have been there, like, like I would have got in just from that alone. I mean, I'm just like, oh, my God, stop. I mean, I'm going crazy. I'm like, my ear, my ear. You know, and, and, and everybody's freaking out. Well, I'm like the only, like, Christian guy on my team living for God, inviting these guys to church and all this kind of stuff. And <laughs> they're just like, dang, man. 
So one of the guys that was on the team, one of the guys that was on the team, uh, I'd been bringing to church with me, and, you know, and, and, uh, and God was kind of doing some cool stuff in his life. And, um, and, and like, over the next couple of weeks, like, he was just kind of, like, weird, like, a little weird, you know, like a little standoffish. You don't even tell people just get kind of weird. And, uh, and, and, like, I invite him to church with me, like, you know, and we always went together. And he, he just wouldn't go. And I'm like, man, this is weird. So finally, I just, I just put him aside, like, bro, man, what, like, like, what's going on? He's like, man, you're just a hypocrite. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, practice a couple weeks ago. You talk all this church Jesus stuff. You dropping 100 F-bombs in 10 seconds. Man, what are, you, what are you talking about? And I'm like, seriously? I mean, I want you to hear me now. That's ridiculous. Should I have dropped F-bombs? No. But that is for me and God to deal with. Not for me and Him to deal with. Do we have to watch our testimonies and watch what we say and watch what we do? Yes, we do. Absolutely we do. But we also have to have grace and the wherewithal to know when somebody messes up, it is not the end of the world. And it's not going to shipwreck my faith because you are in a season of your life that is difficult or you did something stupid. See, we talk about, man, there's this grace that God has that, that it doesn't matter what you've done. God can forgive you. And there's this grace that, you know, man, he's coming to save anybody. And it's like when we become a Christian, it's like all of a sudden we become these religious people. That's like, if you don't follow these rules, you don't follow these rules. Blah, 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 and we get crazy about it. And the people that can be the worst about it are people who are the newest in their faith. And so what we do is we walk down the halls of our school and we're like, and we hear somebody cuss. We're like, hey, don't cuss around me. I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something, that has never made anyone go, God, you know what, I really want to be a Christian now. <laughs> never. Golly gee, I just want to go to church with you now. That has never happened. In all of Christendom, that has never happened. I promise you, that's never happened. I remember when I was uh, a brand new Christian, I've told some of you this story before. I remember when I was a brand new Christian, I went to this party one night, and people were drinking all this stuff, and I went and I took a notebook pad of paper and I rolled the paper up and I taped it and I wrote on there WWJD and I walked around and I slid it over all the beer bottles. So that when everybody grabbed their, they'd have to slide the duck. What in the world was I thinking? I, I had passion, but I had little direction. Jesus wouldn't have done that. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is kicked back with these guys. He's hanging out with them. He's hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners and drunkards. And he's, he's loving on them. And he's doing life with them. And he's, he's sharing his faith with them. And he's caring for them. He's not over there ostracizing them and judging them and, and, and hating on them. And it is so divisive and it pushes people away. And that's why people think Christians are hypocrites and judgmental. Because this is how we react to people. Look, I'll tell you this. I never told a person since I, after I was a Christian for my first year, so we'll, we'll throw that one out. Since then, I've never told a person who's cussed in front of me, don't cuss around me. Never. You know why? Because I was reading the Bible one day, and it says this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers in 1 Corinthians 4.4. The Bible says the message is foolishness to those that go on without believing. And so the reality is the reason that those the people who don't follow Christ act and respond in those ways is because they don't know any other way and they can't help it. 
And they need the love of Christ so they can see Jesus. So that when Jesus changes their life, he begins to change those things within them. That is not for me to do. That is for God to do. And I hope this is landing with you guys because I think this is so huge. If we are going to make a difference in our schools and our community and where we're at, this is it right here, man. Nobody likes to be around somebody who's always saying those things. And that leads me to the third one. Know that you have a plank. Know that you have a plank. Let me read Luke chapter 6, verse 41. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know what the point of this is? The point of this is is that we all have a plank in our eye. He's saying you see a little problem in someone else's life and you're trying to pick that thing out and you ignore this massive problem in your own life. I don't know what your plank is, but I know you got one. Your plank may be anger. Your plank may be an insecurity. Your plank may be fear. Your plank may be, you know, uh, uh, selfishness. Your plank plank may be self-consumedness. Your plank may be all of these different things. Your plank may be whatever, but here's the deal. You got one. And this is what I know. It's so much easier for us to look at another person's sin while neglecting our own. Right? Isn't that what we do? We look at another person's sin, but we don't look. Let me tell you something. Your sin matters to God, too. Those issues in your life matter to God. It is not your place to be picking them out of somebody else's eye. Now, he does say there's a place that's first remove the plank from my eye. Then you can pick the speck of sawdust out of somebody's eye. It doesn't mean that you can't go up to a brother and say, hey, man, I just want to encourage you with this. Or, hey, man, I want to come alongside you right now and let you know I'm here for you. I see that you're struggling with these things. I see that you're walking down the road that's going to lead to a path of destruction. And I want to come alongside you and help you pull your life out of that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when we become so judgmental, we have to be careful. That completely drives people away from us. I mean, I know Christians, literally, who tell other people, you're going to hell. Well, you know what? You're drunk, you're going to hell. (laughs) You said that word, you're going to hell. (laughs) Are you serious? First of all, you're not the judge of who goes to heaven and hell. And the reality is, the only person who knows whether you're going to heaven or hell or not is you and God. Because you can fake people. And there's a lot of people who think they're Christians and they fake it. And maybe you can make an argument based on Scripture that the only person who knows whether you're going to heaven or not is God. Because the Bible says, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, these people thought they were going. And he will say to them plainly, depart from me, I never knew you. So maybe the only person who knows whether you're going to heaven or not is God. The fourth. The fourth caution to Christians, don't be super Christian. Don't be super Christian. 
I didn't have enough time to think of anything more creative than that. <laughs> Nothing is more annoying than super Christian guy. And this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about super Christian guy is the guy that every time you have a conversation about something, it's like, it's got to get like super spiritual. You know, you're like, hey man, what'd you do this week? Oh, well, you know, uh, we had a, we had a, a, like a chorus concert thing at school. And then super Christian guy's like, oh, a chorus concert? I wonder what the chorus in heaven is going to sound like. <laughs> you're like, bro, that's why you don't have any friends. You just don't, that's why you don't. Is it that we don't talk about spiritual things? No, of course we talk about spiritual things. How can you not talk about spiritual things and that be the most important thing in your life? Of course spiritual things are going to come up. And the other side of that is if you never talk about spiritual things, then what the heck is going on in your life right now? Is God really the most important thing? But man, when everything that you're talking about is all, you're always trying to bring everything. Man, let's go to the baseball game and, you know, yeah, I want to go, I want to go to the Braves game. Oh man, you know that little chop-chop thing they do, man? That's kind of like people in worship. They're just worshiping God. Just worshiping. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, bro? No, they're not. They're just cheering for the team. Stop being weird, super Christian guy. And that's what happens, right? Like we, like, like. We, we see these things happen, and we're like, man, what the heck is going on? I actually uh, saw this video, and this is a uh, super spiritual, what, 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 uh, what super spiritual girls say, and it's kind of funny, and I want to show it to you, so y'all check this video out real quick, and we'll close out. I just, I just feel like God is leading me to break up with you. He didn't say we couldn't still be friends. I just feel like Daddy God wants us to take a break. I'm just so fearful of being unequally yoked. The other day in prayer, I had a vision of the man I was supposed to marry and, well, he's not you. He asked me out for coffee, but I don't think he's the one. We went out for coffee and I know he's the one. <laughs> hmm. I'm not ready for marriage. I really want to get married. I'll pray for you. Back off, Philistine. <laughs> I'm just ready for my Boaz. Where's my Samson to tear down the pillars of my loneliness? I'm just so enthralled by the beauty of God's creation. Oh, look, a bird. I should journal. Oh my gosh, I heard he was buying cigarettes. Oh, hi. Oh. She has a real Jezebel spirit. <laughs> love coffee in the word. I just love getting in the word. Just let me be an Esther. Let me never be like Potiphar's wife. Lord, you kept your promise to Sarah. Keep your promise to me that I'll find my man. At this point, I don't even want a David. Just give me one of his mighty men. Ah, my whole perspective on dating totally changed after I read all of Josh Harris's books. That Jesus Culture album is seriously so anointed. Oh girl, I totally love Lisa Bavier. I just love how Mark Driscoll speaks to men. Uh, Twitter needs to know this. We need some leaders in our generation. God is love. Enough said. Hashtag boom. God has your boas coming. Let's go. Be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Girls, just so you know, if that's you, you will never date anybody anyway, so you don't have to worry about it. Uh, <laughs> that is the end of your dating life. But hey, the, the reality is we just got to be careful, man. We got to be careful. It's not like 
It's not like we can't talk about spiritual things. We should talk about spiritual things, but we don't want to be crazy people either. We don't want people like, God, man, those Christian people are so annoying and crazy because we have the love of Christ in us. And that's the reason I wanted to talk about this tonight. I think it's so important for you to get that passion without direction leads to destruction. But passion with direction leads to fruitfulness, leads to influence that is unbelievable. And I believe God wants to use you to influence the people around you. I believe that God wants to use you for his glory. And I want you to recognize the fact, Christian, that that there's a battle, there's a war going on within you. There's conflict between that sin nature and that new nature. And we have to put to death the the sin nature. We have to to put to death the flesh. But the reality is, is that when we have someone that's close to us, or even us ourselves, when we fall, we need to know that God is not done with us. And we need to know that the person around us who has fallen needs someone there to help them up. And that's what brothers and sisters in Christ do. That is what the church does. We don't abandon each other when that happens. Peter denies Jesus three times. Straight up just denies him. After he told Jesus he would never deny him. And then Jesus raises from the dead and he comes and he, he comes by and he's, he connects back with Peter by the, by the Sea of Galilee. And he begins talking to him and he asks, he asks Peter, he says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. And he says, do you love me? Yes. And do you love me? Yes. And he asks him three times as he denied him three times. And he asks him three times. I mean, Peter screwed up majorly and God wasn't done with him. If you keep on reading, you get to Acts chapter 2. And pretty much the church movement as we know it begins through Peter, preaching a message filled with the Holy Spirit. God uses him all the way through and even to write two of the books that are in your New Testament. And so the reality is, is that when we fall down, that doesn't mean that it's over for us. And when our friends fall down, it doesn't mean that it's over for them. And we can allow it to be over for them. When you see a friend struggling in their faith, I think as a believer, it is your, it is your uh, duty, in a sense, as another follower of Christ, to go along beside them and help them along in their faith. And just let them know, hey, I'm here for you, bro. I'm supporting you. I'm praying for you. I'm caring for you. Listen, that is the, that is the reason why we have home groups. The reason. So that you would have a brother or sister in Christ that you can love and support and that can love and support you when you fall down. One of the major reasons. Father, tonight I just ask God that you would be with us. That you would help us in this room to seek your face in all that we do. God, I know that, that some of these things are, are, are pretty, pretty relevant for our lives. They're pretty relevant for where many of us are in this room. Because many of us are new to their faith in this room. And God, I just pray that you would continue to grow us and grow them. That the process of sanctification within them, Lord, that they would continually be set apart to you and from the world. And God, I just pray that you would build up a band of brothers and a band of sisters in this room so that when someone falls down, they have an army of people that are going to come alongside them and help them up. God, that they feel supported. That they feel cared for. God, that this would be a place that is different from any other environment that they're involved in for the rest of the week and their rest of day-to-day life because they know they can come to this place and they're going to be supported and loved and cared for. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.